Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. We read the, PT read the familiar text, Saul's conversion. It's, it's one of those Bible stories that if you, if you happen to grow up in the church, you've heard it before. Uh, if you're like me, you tend to kind of think about it the way you've always thought about it, maybe even since you were a kid. Uh, but I want to spend just a few minutes uh, more on it today. And before we do that, let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you uh, for this worship, for these baptisms, for these uh, amazing moments with these amazing people. Uh, God, I pray right now not for eloquence, not for stage presence. Uh, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. I pray that you would uh, use me, a broken vessel, uh, to say something that comes from you. And when I say something that doesn't help it to fall by the wayside and be forgotten. Jesus, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So PT texted me several weeks back and asked if I'd be willing to share uh, what God's put on my heart uh, since we uh, got here to Memphis. PT knows me pretty well, but he's got to be a little nervous every time somebody is up here other than him, right? You don't know what they're going to say. They could say something that's theologically questionable. They could say something, uh, they could talk about a hot-button issue. Um, They could say something that's just plain wacky. And so, oh, oh, and especially in a room where people look different from one another, vote different from one another, worship different, might pray different, um, in a room full of Presbyterians and sort of secret Baptists, Uh, Maybe it's not a secret anymore. We're just going to get it out of the way. Here we go. Uh, If you're blessed with the opportunity to stand behind a pulpit and you really want to make your pastor anxious, you start your message with these two words. President Trump. (laughs) Now, chances are when I said that name, you had a pretty immediate emotional response. It might have been negative, it might have been very negative, it might have been positive. Maybe you felt defensive. You might have even drawn a conclusion about my personal political preferences just from my saying one name. Let's try a few more. I I just want you to note the way these names make you feel. Happy, sad, angry, whatever. President Biden. Elon Musk. Vladimir Putin. LeBron James, Tom Brady, Beyonce, how about your best friend, your ex, your boss, teachers, your most disruptive student, a homeless person, a transgender person, Somewhere in that list, you had some emotional reactions, right? You felt happy, some. You might have felt sad or angry, or they just hit you in different ways, right? Today, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about someone who would have elicited a similar emotional response to the early church. First, bear with me while we set the stage a bit with some history. Acts 22 tells us that Saul was born in Tarsus, the capital 
of the Roman province of Cilicia. He was of Jewish descent from the tribe of Benjamin, but was, but was also born a Roman citizen, which granted him personal and political benefits not available to others. He leveraged that privilege into educational opportunity. He was trained in Judaism by Rabbi Gamaliel I, a member of the Sanhedrin, and, a, and highly regarded in that day as one of the most respected religious leaders in the Jewish faith. Galatians 1.14 says that Saul advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries. To summarize, this brother knew his Old Testament. Doesn't sound so bad, right? Well, where did Saul go wrong? Saul was a Pharisee. We know that that's a bad word in the Bible, but let's quickly recap what a Pharisee is. The historian Josephus tells us that there were about 6,000 Pharisees, the largest and most prominent group of Jewish leaders during that time. They controlled the synagogue, which means they controlled the culture. You probably associate the term Pharisee with another term that you've heard before, legalism. And that's because they were known for their strict adherence to the theology that the only way to God was through strictly following the law of the Old Testament. The main thing you need to know about Pharisees for tonight is that they oppose Jesus. You probably know well the story of the man whose friends lowered him through the roof uh, so that he could be healed by Jesus. It was the Pharisees who considered it blasphemous when Jesus told that man his sins were forgiven. That was Luke 5. It was the Pharisees in the middle of the debate when Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath in Luke 14. He didn't fall in line with the Pharisees' interpretations of the Old Testament. He represented a threat to the Jewish establishment, their authority, and their way of life. Some might have been among the chief priests and scribes who plotted to kill him. So let's look quickly at the first time we meet Saul. Jesus has been crucified. He's walked out of that grave, amen? And he's ascended to the Father's right hand. The Holy Spirit's come at Pentecost, and the church is growing. Any deacons here? Deacons, raise your hand. Deacons, let's see him. I see some deacons. One of the very first deacons was a guy named Stephen. The Bible said he was full of grace and power and did amazing things in the name of Jesus. So what did the Jewish leaders think of Stephen? He was a threat to the establishment, to their authority, to their way of life. He needed to die. They arrested him. Did he deny Christ? No. He looked them square in the face, spoke the truth, preached one of the best sermons you'll ever read. You know what happened then? They dragged Stephen out of the city and stoned him to death. The Bible says that the people laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. There are different thoughts as to what that meant, what the significance was. One is simply that it's hard to throw a rock when you're wearing a jacket, and you take your jacket off to get a good wind-up. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about how barbaric and disgusting a the scene must have been during a stoning? And Acts 8.1 simply says that Saul approved of what was going on. From there, Saul grew in power, and he was vested with the authority to imprison followers of Jesus, not just in Jerusalem, but he could chase them around in foreign cities as well. Those that were put in prison were often put to death. So that's Saul. And I know you've thought before about Saul being a bad guy, but I want you to think more on that for a moment. Go back to those emotional responses you had with those names that I listed a few minutes ago. Put yourself in the shoes of the early church Christian and think about what feeling must have overwhelmed them when somebody said the name Saul of Tarsus. I've got two more words for you today, and they make up my favorite phrase in all the Bible. But God. 
So we've talked about where Saul came from. We talked about how bad of a guy he is. But God had a plan for Saul of Tarsus. Thanks for bearing with me on the historical recap. There are three more things that I want you to know about Saul. And in the interest of doing my sermonly duty of providing three points for you to write down, here they come. Number one, Saul was an image bearer of God. Number two, Saul needed Jesus. And number three, Saul wasn't worthy, but neither are we. Saul was an image bearer of God. Imago Dei, what does that mean? Way back in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, you've heard it. You'll remember during creation, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. ton of commentary. You could spend months talking about the image of God. One thing we know is that the Bible doesn't clearly and succinctly lay out what the image of God means. Many highlight the term likeness in that passage, which is the Hebrew uh, demuth, focusing on appearances, visual, and audible similarity. Others focus on the term image, Hebrew salem, which is more like a representation. For example, the way a statue represents a famous historical figure, a visible representation of an invisible God. Many highlight the context of Genesis 1, where God is drawing a distinction between people and animals. He says, man is to have dominion over animals. All men are created equal is not an American idea. God bestowed his image upon all mankind, not just kings or rulers, not just members of a certain race or a certain class, just man. We were created to know God and to be known by him. So Adam and Eve got to run around in this perfect garden as perfect image bearers of God himself. But we know what happened. Sin entered the world. Stuff got messed up. Man fell. So are people still made in the image of God? The answer I would put to you is yes, but. God's proclamation of man's value, our dominion over the animals, our status remains. Scripture confirms that man continues to be imprinted with the image of God even after the fall. See, for example, Genesis 9, 6 and James 3, 9. The psalmist calls us a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. The fall did not undo the way we were created. What it did was mess up what we do with that. Romans 1, 23 tells us that we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for idols. Our relationship with the creator was broken. But God, but God so loved Saul of Tarsus, so love me, so love you, so love the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him can have that perfect image of God restored for eternity, never to be corrupted again. In Jesus, the second Adam, the image of God was again perfect. I was going to ask you to turn, but I'm going to read quickly Colossians 1, 15 through 20, talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Ephesians puts it like this. Me and you and Saul were dead in our trespasses and sins, living according to our fleshly desires, but God, who is in abundant in mercy because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with the Messiah, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of grace in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's good news, right? So that's my second point. Saul needed Jesus. Through Jesus, the image of God can be restored. Wait, but the good news is for pretty good people, right? Not for somebody like Saul. Saul persecuted Christians, threw him in prison, voted to kill him. To the early church, Saul was Osama bin Laden. Surely the good news wasn't for him, right? But what did God say about Saul back in Acts 9.15? He said, this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Every human is imprinted with the image of God, and every human, even those like Saul, who have done and said awful things, those that fill you with feelings of fear and anger, those who you really don't like, racists, liars, cheaters, adulterers, murderers, Jesus died for them. The good news of the gospel is for them as it is for us. So I want you to think again back to that first list. I want you to get into your mind the name on that list that wasn't your favorite, the one that kind of makes your skin crawl a little bit, the, the one that you just don't agree with. I want you to think about that person as sinful and unworthy as you feel they are. I want you to think about that person maybe for the first time ever as someone made in God's image, someone who needs Jesus, someone who is either redeemed or redeemable. I want you to think about that person as someone who is not beyond the reach of the Almighty. I want you to think about that person as someone about whom God might decide to say, this is my chosen instrument. My childhood pastor used to often say, there's no one so bad that they need not be saved, but no one so good, excuse me, no one so bad that they cannot be saved, but no one so good that they need not be saved. That brings me to my third point already. Saul wasn't worthy, but neither are we. When we think about someone we don't like, there's always at least a little bit of selfishness in that, some hypocrisy. This idea that that person over there, that's a real sinner. I'm pretty good. Maybe I sin here, there, a little bit, over here a little bit, but look at them. Their sin, those are the big ones. You've heard Matthew 7 and 3, uh, the one about the beam in your own eye, uh, before talking about the speck in somebody else's. Let's go back to the list of people again. I want you to get that person back in your head, the one that makes you the most angry. Now I want you to ask a hard question. Can you think of a time, ever, once, in all the times you've been frustrated with that person, one time that your feelings toward that person led you to examine your own heart, to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any beams in your eye, to consider whether some of the very same sin that you see displayed in the words and actions of that person might have a place in the corner of your own heart? Those are questions I don't want to ask myself because I can guarantee you I've got beams that I know about and beams that I don't. Donald Trump needs Jesus. Joe Biden needs Jesus. Chris Brandon needs Jesus. Tim Johnson needs Jesus. Everybody, everybody is either redeemed or redeemable. Do we view them that way? I'm reminded of one of my favorite truth nuggets from PT, something I'll carry with me forever. 
I used to be one of those guys that when asked about my testimony, I would say, I don't have a very interesting testimony. I grew up in a Christian family, didn't really know anything different. Well, what was I saying there, PT? I was saying, well, I'm no Saul. I'm pretty good. Becoming a Christian wasn't that hard. What a slap in the face of God. I was dead in my sin. God sent his only son for me as much as he did for Billy Graham and as much as he did for Saul of Tarsus. Saul wasn't worthy, but neither was Chris Brandon. And if this good news is for everybody, I have to remember that everybody includes those folks in the other political party. The bad boss, the professor, the difficult neighbor. I have to want them to hear it, to accept it, to have their road to Damascus moment. My desire for the, school, for the school teacher should be for them to know Jesus, not for my kid to get an A in their class. I should pray for the president's heart more than I think about his politics. I wonder how many of us have prayed for LeBron James to know and follow Jesus. And I'm not saying that he doesn't. I don't know. But I can promise that I've thought a lot more about his MVPs and his NBA championships than I have about his eternity. Isn't that sad? Can you imagine the impact if LeBron James decided that Jesus was number one in his life and every time he was behind a microphone he wanted to tell people that? Can you imagine LeBron James going from city to city proclaiming the good news? Why do we not think about eternity when it comes to our sports and entertainment heroes? LeBron or MJ? Everybody's got an opinion. It's his airness, by the way. But y'all, it's basketball. It's basketball. In light of eternity, it's meaningless. So let's quit putting God to the side when we watch the Super Bowl or the NBA playoffs or the Oscars or the Emmys. So I'll, I'll wrap up. Uh, here's how John Calvin summarized the point that I was trying to make about the image of God. I just love this. He says, We are not to consider that, me, that men merit of themselves, but to look upon the image of God in all men, to which we owe all honor and love. Therefore, whatever man you meet who needs your aid, you have no reason to refuse to help him. You might say he is a stranger, but the Lord has given him a mark that ought to be familiar to you. You might say that he is contemptible and worthless, but the Lord shows him to be the one whom he has designed to give the beauty of his image. You might say that he does not deserve even your least effort for his sake, but the image of God which recommends him to you is worthy of your giving yourself and all your possessions. If someone hates you, if they have cursed and abused you, if they deserve nothing good from you, not even this is a just reason why you should cease to embrace that person in love and to perform the duties of love on his behalf. Instead, we must remember not to consider men's evil intention, but to look upon the image of God in them, which cancels and effaces their transgressions, and with its beauty and dignity allures us to love and embrace them. Think about what would happen if we started seeing the image of God and the need for Jesus in people first. Before appearance, before fame, before race and class, before religion, before politics, if we could let the Spirit work in our hearts in such a way that used us, in such a way that the name that you all had in mind that used to make us cringe now makes us fall to our knees and pray. It will drive from our hearts anger, hate, and contempt and replace those things with joy. It will enable us to share the good news and make disciples in accordance with his command. 
God may even use our specific prayers, words, and actions for someone's road to Damascus moment. So I'm going to go back to the original list one more time. When I say each name, I want you to respond with four words out loud. God's image needs Jesus. President Trump. President Biden. Elon Musk. Vladimir Putin. LeBron James. A racist. A liar. A murderer. Pastor Tim. Chris Brandon. You. All right, as we wrap up, I want to take just a second. If you aren't sure you've had your road to Damascus moment, most of you know that after his conversion, Saul became known as Paul. As in the Apostle Paul, as in the most notable theologian and evangelist in history. As in the author of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and maybe Hebrews. God didn't just save Saul. He used him in ways unimaginable. You might be mired in sin and depression, and you think all this sounds pretty good, but you aren't ready. You just got to clean yourself up a bit. Then you'll be ready. Saul didn't clean up first. You might be doing pretty good. You might be a pretty nice person, but it hit home when I said there's no one so good that they need not be saved. Maybe you've been at the avenue since the beginning. or Maybe this is your first week here. Maybe you know all the right answers from Sunday school. Maybe you don't know the difference between Zephaniah and Zacchaeus. Something's just tugging at your heart right now. Someone's whispering in your ear that this stuff might be getting real for you. That's my friend, the Holy Spirit, by the way. Oh, do I have good news for you today. Right now, in this room, there is no one so bad that you cannot be saved. There is no one so good that you need not be saved. Listening online right now to the podcast later on today can be the day that you go from Saul to Paul. If this is you, or even if you aren't sure, but it might be you, I'm, gonna ask, I'm not going to ask you to stand up or raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. I am going to ask real quick, deacons, elders, staff, stand up, please. Deacons, elders, staff, real quick. All right, look around. If you feel like this might be your road to Damascus moment, I'm asking you to find one of these people after we dismiss. Stand around for a minute while they talk to their neighbor. Chase them to the nursery while they go get their kids. Follow them to the car, but talk to one of these people tonight. Don't wait till next Sunday. Don't wait till tomorrow. I promise they want to have this conversation with you tonight. If you don't catch one of them or you're listening online, text me, call me, email me. My email is cgbrandon at gmail.com. We'll talk tonight. Don't wait. If you're listening later, text, call, email me then. This is the honest truth. Thanks, you can be seated. If God can change Saul, he can change anyone. Check that. If God can change Chris Brandon, he can change anyone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for their hearts, for uh, their ears to listen, uh, 
uh, even on a Sunday when, oh no, it's a guest speaker. God, we pray uh, for you to move through this room. God, we pray especially for those uh, who you might be whispering to, who might be ready for their road to Damascus moment. God, we pray that you would give them the courage uh, not to stand up right now, but to find somebody to talk to after the service, to not put that off another day. God, we're just grateful for you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for being here. In Christ's name, amen. And I want to close real quick with this. A couple of weeks ago, we sang the song, The Blessing. And I was overwhelmed. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness, especially in times of anxiousness and transition. I was reminded that as the Brandon family goes to a new place full of unknowns, that his presence goes before us, behind us, beside us, all around us, and with us. He is with us. But it's also my prayer for you all, whom we love very much. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children and their children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you and within you. He is with you in the morning, in the evening, in your coming and in your going, in your weeping and in your rejoicing. He is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.